In London, technology is the Silicon Roundabout. Introducing a new talk show dedicated to the people of the London technology startup scene. Silicon Real. Each week, interviewing entrepreneurs, venture capitalists, financial technology, accelerators, and incubators in an exciting three-person format. Learn about the people behind the innovation. Locally filmed, locally sourced. Silicon Real. It's about the people. This is Silicon Reel, the weekly talk show dedicated to the people of the London technology startup scene. I'm Brian Rhodes. I also host London Reel. Uh, it's the same studio, a little bit different of a show. We've had uh, guys like Tim Ferriss from the 4-Hour Everything. We had uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson. Uh, we had local um, bad boy Ashley Walters in here uh, last week, and uh, it's a, a little bit different of a show, so check that out at londonreel.tv. But today we're here to talk tech. My co-host is entrepreneur Colin Pyle. Uh, you're rocking crew cafe we just all had a double espresso of the good stuff uh, kevin said great things about it how's the coffee business coffee business is going well uh yeah things are going great again going down to italy in about two weeks to nail down a few more blends and you know we're early days so we're trying to you know streamline and, and create efficiencies in our supply chain and you know deal with multiple partners so but good happy days another financing round so i'm sure you know a few of those um yeah exhausting but but all, all good stuff so, where, where did yeah. you raise your money from uh angels so yeah the first first round was angels second round will just be angels again and then uh and then hopefully we'll are they in the coffee step. business or are they uh um yeah the, the, or more tech investors yeah a little bit of both mostly friends and family yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's the trend back in in the valley. Is you have a lot of tech investors now investing in coffee mm. and chocolate right. and all these other areas. Interesting, fun, like fun business going on tech. Well, I, I want to hear more about the valley. Yeah. So let me introduce our guest. It's uh, Mr. Kevin Hartz, who is the founder and CEO of Eventbrite, uh, which is the world's leading self service ticketing platform, uh, helping anyone to set up, promote, and then sell out any event. Uh, you guys have processed over two hundred million tickets, worth two and a half billion dollars. Uh, you guys have uh, raised uh, $200 million for yourself, uh, valuing you guys, I think, over a billion dollars for your company. Uh, you personally invested early in PayPal, Airbnb, Pinterest. Um, uh, uh, your wife, Julia, is a co-founder. We tried to get her. We got stuck with you. Uh, Kevin, uh, welcome to Silicon Reel. Thanks for being here. Brian, thank you so much. You know, you, you just came in uh, from, uh, from San Francisco, right? Uh, I guess about a week ago. Uh, it's London Technology Week. It's crazy. There's like 200 different events. Whole, <laughs> daily. <laughs> daily. It, it is crazy. And, and yeah. I know your schedule has been just, uh, I've been watching it on Twitter and it's been pretty nuts. I know you're off to campus London later. I was wondering, what does London feel like to you as far as technology-wise? Does it remind you of the Valley 10 years ago, or does it have a unique feel? Or I just wonder what your thoughts are when you land here and, and you start going around meeting people, things like that. Well, I, you know, physically, London is so steeped in tradition, and you come to this beautiful old city. And by the way, we've just been, it's been a whirlwind in, in the last few days. We arrived on Sunday. It is, uh, you know, as I mentioned, so steeped in tradition, yet when you get out of the the taxi or the uber and you get into these events uh it's the the people there's it's it's almost indistinguishable i think entrepreneurs are universal and entrepreneurs uh, m you know kind of migrate to these centers and in london is becoming one of these centers now 
It's uh, that's kind of always good to hear. I kind of always wonder where we're at. You know, people always say in in fintech we kind of have an advantage because we're right in the middle of the. You know, the banks are literally a mile away from us, and government's here. It's kind of like San Francisco, L.A., New York rolled into one. You know, in that sense. Uh, but I always wonder if it feels, you know, kind of early on. Everyone's really helpful with everything we do at Silicon Real. They always want to help each other out. But we haven't had a lot of the big exits that people have had over the years. And I know you were involved in some of these early companies as an investor. And uh, I, I was just wondering if, if, uh, if it feels kind of like uh, it's still kind of a secret that's moving up. Or, or do you think it's maturing really fast here in London? Do you guys think about London when you're in San Francisco? Is it kind of what's going on in Europe? Well, we think about London from a business perspective, from an Eventbrite perspective, because it's, uh, it, I mean, it's our third biggest city in Is the it? world uh, wow. from a, a matter of sales. And, and that's pretty incredible for a small company out in San Francisco, for Eventbrite to have that, that global nature to us. And we actually set up an office. Uh, we have a team out here in London and have been building that team. Uh, we didn't proactively do that. We reactively did that because of the adoption of Eventbrite uh, in London and also because it's just a, a great pool of talent. Uh, you can draw upon the whole EU and also we can launch into other markets uh, uh, from London as well. I've got it on my phone. I've used Eventbrite like without yeah, knowing it. Um, because a lot of events had it, and they had the tickets, and so that's always a good sign when our guests, when my app is already on my phone yeah, before, before they get here. Um, for people that don't know the story of Eventbrite, can you just uh, walk us through kind of when it happened and how it happened? Um, you know, you, you, uh, your wife is kind of a co-founder, which I don't know if that happens a lot in, in San Francisco or anywhere else, but tell us about Eventbrite. Well, we, we started in earnest in, in 2006, and uh, there are three co-founders, myself, uh, Julia, who also happens to be my wife, and Renaud Visage, who spends uh, a lot of his time here in, in London. Um, he's, he's, we basically broke all the startup rules in, in the sense that uh, at the time, Julia and I were engaged to be married, and it's fairly insane to go into a business venture with uh, your fiancé, soon-to-be wife. Uh, and we also, and Renaud was, uh, while he was a software engineer out in the valley, uh, during the first dot-com bubble, he worked for a photo-sharing site that was funded by Kleiner Perkins. That's, that's how I first came in contact with him. He was spending most of his time in, in Paris, so we had a, a, a CTO that was based remotely for, for most of the year. So from a startup perspective, the three of us had kind of uh, uh, all the odds against us. And uh, is Silicon Valley littered with couples that have started companies up and then it went wrong? And I mean, it must be hard to keep founders even on the same page normally, but is that usually a recipe for disaster? Well, uh, couples, you know, it can, it, it can work brilliantly. It doesn't work most of the cases. And, you know, what we had always in mind is that we didn't want to destroy a relationship. We, uh, you know, we are spending the rest of our lives together. And at the time we were starting Eventbrite, we were really thinking that, um, okay, well, the worst thing we want to do is end up in some kind of uh, conflict that destroys the relationship. So we always had this plan A or plan B that one of us would step out of it if, if there was too much conflict. What happened is that there was just this serendipity. There was just uh, um, a balance, a complementary nature that you find in um, founding partners that just worked very well. We uh, divided and con conquer is a term we often use where we just don't overlap much in expertise. And she focuses in certain areas and I focus in others. And that is really the recipe for, for 
all great uh, founding teams or for, for founders is to have that complementary expertise. And you started at just uh, organizing local events in Silicon Valley. I mean, it, w- it was started off as kind of just a free service. Is, is it, was that Genesis? Yeah, we really we launched as a very basic service that uh, was based on PayPal um, only. PayPal really helped us get off the ground a lot like uh, you see Stripe today, uh, the Irish brothers. Um, that, uh, having uh, we, we didn't spend our time rebuilding a, a payment system. We built a very basic system, but we really thought about uh, low friction, is how can anybody sign up, publish an event, and start selling tickets in a matter of minutes. And in, in 2006, that was uh, fairly unique. And, and we started it, um, you know, we kind of hard started it by really speaking to our friends and colleagues in the industry uh, and watching them and seeing how they use the, the product. So we we built something that was was scalable, but but it had a really um, you know human element in the sense that we were watching, helping, learning uh, from them in the process. And when did it start expanding to other cities, or started becoming paid for? When did you kind of see that that kind of light? Well, it's it's uh, one of those classic tales where we had focused on tech conferences because it's what we knew, and and they were great early adopters and other tech. Uh, conferences, mainly, you know, blogs were exploding at the time and, and diversifying their businesses by starting to hold live events. And, uh, and, and so other uh, conferences started to pick the service up. Uh, so TechCrunch was one of our first and, and many other, uh, many other um, blogs and, and conferences followed after that. And then and that's that initial vector of growth. Uh, but also at the time, you know, we like to, to look at um, building business in, in terms of, you know, what, what vectors do you grow off? What kind of drafts, um, tailwinds can, can you use to grow? And at the time, it was SEO. Uh, Google was um, really gaining prominence, and you were seeing a lot of companies grow through great organic search. And Yelp was an inspiration to us, what Jeremy Stoffman had built in terms of indexing local businesses and, and seeing a lot of traffic coming from that way. And what started to happen after we kind of primed the pump and spent a lot of hard work watching the customer, working with the customer, getting this, this flywheel going, is that we saw, um, that we saw Google uh, Search picking up this really interesting local content that started out as tech conferences, but then were classes on photography or dance or bands playing in small clubs and these sorts of things. And was there, was there a point where you felt it turning or tipping or you were like, okay, this is kind of growing on its own? You know, I, uh, maybe I'm uh, paranoid, but I always felt like we've always had to just be pushing and pushing and pushing. I don't think we ever, uh, you know, one may look back and, you know, we're really proud of what we accomplished, but I, I think we've always been pushing the business. I think we've had a, um, we've taken advantage of a lot of beneficial tailwinds, as we say, whether it was SEO, and then the social revolution happened, and all of a sudden we saw traffic coming from Facebook and more deeply integrated in Facebook, and and people started sharing events, and that was a great factor. We created, uh, or we made free events. If you were holding an event that didn't cost anything, you can use our service at, at no cost. You've got this full-featured platform, and today, two-thirds of our events are, are free events, and tens of millions of people uh, attend free events each year on Eventbrite, and they learn about Eventbrite, and, and they turn into 
uh, paid sellers um, themselves, or many do. And, and so these, these natural uh, drivers of growth, these, these virtuous cycles, um, all really helped kind of sweep us up. And uh, I still always feel it's, it's um, a good battle every day. And, um, you know, uh, we're only as good as, as kind of the next adventure ahead of us. We, we, we probably should look back more and, and, and enjoy ourselves, but um, I think we're looking forward and really enjoying the challenges ahead. Just out of curiosity, what, what was the spark or the idea for Eventbrite? Was it a pain that you had where, you know, I'm tired of buying these tickets or, you know what I mean? It's just that this all could be digital. When, when did that happen and maybe who had the idea? Yeah, that's yeah. a great question. You know, it was really around, um, it, it feels like ticketing, and I use ticketing as a general term. I think that we connotate, connotate ticketing with the O2 Arena uh, Royal Albert Hall, you know, the World Cup, but it's really something much broader. It's any type of live experience. And we saw this, uh, we think it was this, we think it is this last bastion of e-commerce, this completely untapped area where uh, people were putting up flyers or sending out emails or trying to promote, you know, the so-called long tail uh, of events. We saw this massive opportunity uh, to you know, to be uh, that solution. And, and really the heart of the vision is around live experiences, is that we love the notion of people gathering. It's inherent to who we are. Uh, to, to, it's, it's part of, you know, if you talk about Maslow's pyramids, it's one of those um, kind of core needs. Uh, and, you know, what we've seen is uh, people coming together uh, around live experiences, whether it's on the professional side, whether it's uh, to see a band play, whether it's to watch a sporting event, whether it's to compete in a Tough Mudder race, which are these crazy obstacle courses started by... I was on one about a month ago. <laughs> oh, good for you. Yeah. How, how did you like it? It was tough. That's, yeah. what, I told, that's what I told everyone afterwards. It was tough. I put together a video with my GoPro right, head cam, yeah, and everyone good. was like, that looks like fun, but I cut out the four hours of running up hills. And, <laughs> um, but yeah, it was a fantastic experience, and, and uh, yeah, it was, it, it was all about being together, and there's no time limits, and you know, I really like that. So. And that's the, Will Dean created that. He's, uh, um, is he British. from London? Yeah, yeah, yeah he's, he's British. British. Yeah. He's British Special Forces and, yeah. and went over to Harvard Business School. Uh, and... and uh, when he left business school, started that. And it's just been one of these phenomenons of, you know, I think that really typifies the live experience. Yeah. It's interesting you said that um, it's because it, we watch, you know, uh, we, we watch live streaming and now you can stream concerts in HD and we've got uh, Skype calls and we've got the social media revolution you talked about. And yet on the other side of that is this need for us all to connect and get together, which is the essence of your business model. And I was wondering how do, do, those, do you see those kind of two battling in, in people's heads or in people in tech spaces heads or us as humans going forward or we have all these tools to connect virtually, but we really want to connect physically. I, I really like how you said that. It feels like you're really plugging Eventbrite now. Thank you. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm going to have to borrow that. Yeah. Uh, luckily, this is being archived, so I can um, like transcribe this or something. But no, that's, that's beautifully said, is that as we become more connected, uh, that, uh, you know, in, in, in fact, technology has also enabled us to gather uh, that, uh, you know, a mobile phone, given its characteristics or social media, allows us to um, to, to come together more easily and, and find out what's going on or what's happening around us. And, and that's really the vision of Eventbrite is to, to bring people together uh, and not miss those great experiences or, or find new experiences that you wanted to, 
to be a part of. We see it as uh, a media type. Um, you know, in the United States, we have cable TV with a few hundred channels, and you have your film, and you have your educational channels, and your sports, and so on. And, and we see uh, kind of a, a we want to be that cable TV of, of live experiences that cover every part of your life, whether it's professionally, uh, whether you want to learn something new, whether, again, you want to be challenged in sport, that uh, you have this kind of channel guide to everything happening in the, wor- in the real world. Yeah, so you look at it as, almost as a media platform. Yes, exactly. It's interesting how you look at things differently. It seems to be all the success stories out of, well, in technology are people that just look at things differently. And people talk about this recent Uber valuation, and they say it's because the president is not thinking about this as a taxi company. He's thinking about it as a logistics solution. Right. And uh, it's interesting, to, uh, you talk about this being like almost a media vertical, getting together with people whether it be for events or teaching or learning or something like that? Well, it's, it's, it's one of the oldest media verticals uh, around, you know, the, <laughs> so, the, Greek, tra- the right. Greek plays. Right, uh, right. Um, so, you know, we've gathered, uh, um, you know, for, since almost the beginning of time, and it's, it's time to really formalize that more, and, and that's really our mission. Uh, and, and so we, when we think about that, we think about, you know, I guess there's Nielsen uh, ratings or net ratings if you have... Know some ratings in the United States, but it's how much time you spend watching television or these different things. And we want to, uh, we foresee a future where you have that share of time that is spent in these live experiences that's much more formalized. And today, there's little bits and pieces of that. You go to a, um, you go see a, a band, you run in a race, but we really want to understand and define that more and provide more variety to consumers because that's really what. Um, you know, it kind of defines us as human beings that we can gather and connect and discover and learn and all these great things. I think as a species, we're getting more and more frustrated because we think we've solved all of these things where you used to have to get together right. and go see a band live. And now you can watch the music video at home. You can watch a DVD when you get home from work and relax. Or you can do all these things where you communicate via Skype. And, oh, I talked to my dad, but I haven't seen him for four years, but I Skyped him last week. And like, I think we're, we're ultimately they're building this kind of human frustration because we're not getting out there. Like The Tough Mudder was like probably one of the greatest things I'll do all year. And I was like this big thing, and we prepared, and I did it. And like we were all there, touching and looking at each other, and having these emotions and shared, I, I, shared experiences. I right? don't do yeah. enough of that stuff, yeah. and I live in London for God's sakes. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know. I don't know why that is. Yeah, I, I'm. I really sort of push against it because even just running a business, I thought you know you talk about the start of Eventbrite, which is kind of you know ironic that here's this this company that's bringing people together, but yet it was started with your CTO. Uh, not not in the same location, and it's it, for me starting businesses. If you've ever spent a month with you know a developer not next to you or a designer not next to you, it can be hugely frustrating. And and you think, you know, until virtual reality where you can kind of sit in a room, a virtual room with someone and actually work together. I don't think Skype is you know it's just it's a great service. Don't get me wrong, I love it, but, uh, but we're but, seeing those challenges yeah. uh, today as we expand in try to communicate or, or trying to maintain that communication with our London office with uh, we've we've expanded in South America we have an office in Argentina a, a team down there and, and it's very difficult um, but very important given the global aspect sure. of uh, businesses today how many employees do you have globally uh, we have uh, 373 wow 
Right on the money. There we go. Um, it's weird because you see like an Oculus acquisition by right. Facebook, and it, yeah. would, it would seem like Kevin would just ring the guy, the portfolio manager, and be like, "Look, if you want a zero correlated asset, it's Eventbrite yeah. because they're almost like the two separate issues, aren't they? Right. Uh, one is like you have to actually be there, and one is you have to actually not be there. Right. Does that come through your mind when you see a lot of that virtual reality technology, and, and you're thinking that's great to have the tech, but we know there's always going to be the need for the I, I love the zero correlated asset. Uh, an, a, another line I, I will use that, that's exactly right is, um, you know, we, we often say that we imagined a world, um, you know, that, that we would be in, uh, you know, the snow crash. If you've read the novel snow crash, it's this, uh, science fiction novel where you, um, of the future where you travel through, um, inside of, you know, these virtual worlds through this Oculus type of, of interface. And that is what we all imagine the future to be. And I think there's this dichotomy of, of the online and the offline. And the offline will always remain and, and remain robust. And, you know, in, in, in to maybe take this at a different angle, what you see in the digital world is a lot of disruption. So you saw the disruption of the music industry, Sean Parker and Abster, uh, and Sean Fanning, um, you know, and the value of recorded music go to nearly zero. And what you saw was that uh, the touring industry really took mm-hmm. off, that artists then made their money going out on tour. Um, and that analog works in so many different categories. We see so many different uh, tip, kind of traditional magazines that are building, uh, are building their business or expanding their business through having... Uh, live events, you know, whether it's around wine and, and food or whether it's uh, around certain hobbyists. And Maker's Fair is, is something that comes to mind that was just in the Bay Area and is, is starting to tour more and more. Uh, but but uh, Maker's Fair started from, you know, it was a, a, really a publication. Uh, and now make, the Maker's Fair themselves are these wonderful festivals that celebrate coming together and creating. Do you um, have people like the traditional ticket people? Are they now becoming on your radar, or are you going on their radar as you get bigger and bigger? The ticket masters and the stub hubs and the people that have—I mean, I, I wouldn't say they're the music industry of the past. I didn't say that. Um, but is that something that you have to consider now as you get bigger and bigger that you're ultimately competing with these guys, or is, or is that now obvious to them? Will the incumbents? Uh, you know, some incumbents are certainly. Uh, kind of tied to the past and, and challenged. I, I think you've seen in most cases that incumbents, you know, really have difficulty transitioning to um, a changing world, and and history doesn't bode well. Uh, the previous company um, I co-founded, a company called Zoom, is a money transfer business, yeah. and um, Zoom went went public last year. I'm I'm can't claim I'm, I'm no longer operating that business. I'm running Eventbrite full-time, but I remain on the board and, and have um, watched that business grow over 10 years uh, to really put a dent in, in Western Union. And uh, Western Union is one of these offline brands that's having this real challenge uh, moving online because it's disrupting its own channel, how it does business. Um, but I don't even need to use Western Union as an example of disruption in progress. We can look at Blockbuster. We can look at uh, the you know Barnes and Noble and and so on. And so those companies are aren't necessarily ones you're targeting, but you're going after a similar market. Well, you know our approach has been to um, you know our vision is to encompass every live experience and. Uh, we aspire to to be in that market, and we we do serve um, a lot of music 
clients uh, in, in a number of festivals. And however, um, you know, it's a, it's a more competitive market. And what that means is that, you know, instead of, we always say, instead of kind of banging our heads against the wall and trying to break into um, the, the ultra-competitive markets, uh, what we're doing is we're expanding into all these different categories that range, you know, again, from politics to classes to conferences uh, to all these different geographies, our um, growth in Europe, our growth in Latin America. Uh, we still need to um, make a push into Asia. We're, we're just scratching the surface there. So um, we, we try to, we always say, follow the path of least resistant in, resistance. And I think that is a, you know, a lesson for, for startups. Um, disruption doesn't mean to uh, take an incumbent head on, um, but um, there, there are many different paths to get there. 373 employees, you know, 200 million raised. You started off with three, now you're 373. If you have any advice to anyone who's kind of in a smaller level and is going to get to your, your level someday, what, 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 is, what, do you, what is the hardest part of running a company that big now? Is it communication? Like, you might have a vision. You don't look in the rearview mirror, obviously. How do you keep the whole company kind of looking forward without overdriving them? Uh, you know, I mean, it's, it's really all in the... the Soylent green punchline. Uh, it's the people, or is that? Is that? Do you get that <laughs> reference? There's some film, <laughs> right? That is um, a, that, that's what it was made of. Yes. It was made of people. Yes, okay. right. but but it is all about the people. Um, I'm testing that. It's probably not a good line to use in, in the future. Because <laughs> they were eating themselves. That's yes. our tagline on the Silicon Rail. It's, it's about the people. It's not in that way. <laughs> not it's about eating the people. <laughs> we're a cannibalistic. Well, man. well there you go. Your tagline is, is more apropos. It's uh, you build a great company. I think that uh, it's so imp- it, it is critically important to focus around the product uh, and building a great product and making your customers happy. But it's critically important, as important, to focus around the team you build, and so finding those right people for those right positions uh, really is the key aspect to scaling. In the early days, and what most of you know, the listeners coming from the startup side, when, when you're you know, three or five or ten people, um, it's, you know, you're working on everything, you're driving very hard, you're moving the business yourself, but as you scale, uh, that's all really done by finding, you know, the, the talent that can, can actually do things better than, uh, than you, that are um, more sharpened in certain areas, that can complement you, uh, that can really help you scale. And that was the, the key to our growth at Eventbrite, was finding where our weak points are and finding great people to fill those roles. And, and that's the key to it. In the early days, uh, it's you know, most critically important to have you know, it's that founding team. Do you have the right chemistry amongst the founding tr- team that Julia, Renault, and I um, you know, were lucky that we'd come together and, and things worked, and making sure that there's complementary expertise, that there's good chemistry and in balance, that there's great trust, um, and that you can divide and conquer in your own way and that you can each go out there and, and have an impact. I like building startups um, in, in more of a bootstrapping fashion. I'm not a fan of going out and raising a lot of money initially. I like to, to prove a market, and especially with the, the um, market and with the, you know, the, the kind of world, the way it's evolved, that you have so much open source uh, software available, you have so many resources available to help get a company started and into orbit without a lot of capital 
that's um, really kind of the, the test is you should be able to get a product live, um, get customers, uh, even perhaps get to revenue. And each one of those steps reduces the risk uh, in, the, to, to business uh, success. Is it hard to find talent in San Francisco when you're like, I, want to, I need to hire 10 people? I don't know what the job market's like. Is it nearly impossible? And, and, and if you can find people, is it about the money? Is it about the stock options? Or is it, is it about the vision? The slides. Slides in the offices. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's, it's very challenging in San Francisco. And um, like uh, we often use the analogy of, of customer acquisition in, you know, on the marketing side that you need to find unique channels to discover great people that you can't use the, the typical channels. The, the, you know, kind of great example is that people used to just find an engineer on Craigslist or post to Craigslist. That's uh, played out. That's uh, arbitrage is gone. So, uh, you know, how do you reach out and find talent around the world or pull from universities or, um, aqua hires or, uh, you know, how do you, how do you go about, uh, approaching, um, finding great talent and retaining great talent is as important as, um, finding customers and making those customers happy. Uh, building a great company, having those people in place builds a timeless company that any product, uh, you build or launch will be successful with those right people. Europe, when you look at Europe from where you're based in California, is it, is it, and when other people like your peers in, in San Francisco look at Europe, is it like really hard to get your head around all the languages and all the different markets? We got Germany, you have to be in, but you have to be there in German, and, and England seems like kind of easier because it's the same language. Is it look like a mess to you, or does it just look like a wonderful opportunity to kind of test your product and find different ways of doing it better? We've been looking at it for a number of years now, and so we're uh, I would say we're we're still in the early stages of of understanding, but we've we've come quite far. A lot of our investor, uh, you know, investors, uh, Tiger Global is one of our investors that really focuses has an international focus. Sequoia Capital has has a global focus, and and you know that's been helpful to get that perspective that um, that you know the internet industry is not just about Silicon Valley and, and winning the United States. That used to be the old paradigm 10 years ago is that you had to win domestically. And, you know, nearly from day one, you've got to think globally. And the UK market, um, Ireland, uh, we've just really launched in Ireland recently and seen great growth there. Uh, and then now pushing into the, the continent, um, really amazing markets and ones that we have to uh, appreciate and grow um, you know, on their own with, with their own leadership. Would you ever move to London? I, uh, I spent a year in graduate school yeah, outside yeah, I of, saw that. Uh, it was of London. Oxford. Yeah, that it was, was strange. You went to Stanford and then you went to Oxford for a history degree. That's right. That's quite a, uh, not, not so apropos for, for technology one would think, but you know, I would say I'm a, uh, it, the, the kind of key component of history is that you see these patterns that happen over and over again. Uh, and we see these patterns in tech happening over and over again. Um, so that's, that's maybe my one tie um, to how history is actually applicable. Otherwise, the period of George III doesn't hold a lot of, of weight in the valley, uh, expertise in that area. So it has been useful, the hist- that history degree? You know, I would say that the um, kind of intellectual curiosity and pattern recognition uh, are the you know, really of what I took away from Oxford. Okay. 
Speaking of history, I mean, we've seen, you know, big uh, uh, bull markets in tech and we've seen them recede, whatever you want to call those things. We've seen, uh, you know, a, a recent very bull market. We've seen these, these Uber valuations, which are very impressive or crazy, whatever you want to call it, raising nine figures uh, for Uber at $17 billion valuations. Do you see patterns here? I mean, you've been in the Valley for a while. You probably saw the, the you know, the 2001, 2002, and you've seen it again. Does this feel different? Does it feel like a slower growth, a sustainable growth, or do you still say, I can pick two out of these 10 companies that are not going to be here in five years? Well, you know, I think you answered the question. There, there are these uh, really clear patterns that, that happen. We, we saw in 2000, you know, we see these pendulum swift shifts, and uh, you describe it as a, the pendulum of capitalism never stays still in the middle. It's it's either boom, it swings out yeah. one direction, or bust and swings the other. Um, you know, we're we're a little bit out um, on on the boom side, but you can never really tell how far it goes or how long it lasts. We're in a um, there seems to be a fair amount of health. I mean, despite um, you know we're we're seeing some big valuations and so on. Uh, and, but you're also seeing some remarkable numbers and some remarkable economics uh, out of these companies that, that um, you know, I'm not going to say this is different from last time. As soon as uh, that's the most dangerous line right. I've ever heard. Right. Uh, and, uh, you know, we heard that in 2008. Um, we're hearing it now, and usually as soon as you start to hear people saying it's different this time, it means the, the end is near. But, um, you know, what's wonderful is that uh, there is a greater capital efficiency uh, to the businesses being built. Um, I love uh, studying and really looking at these marketplace businesses, uh, Uber, Airbnb, uh, Eventbrite is a marketplace of, of buyers and sellers, attendees and organizers. Uh, we've Our center of gravity has been really focused around the organizers and where we're shifting and spending our focus um, now is around the, the attendees and consumers and filling that vision of finding um, great things to do. I dodged your question a bit about whether we're in a bubble. How did I get away with that? I don't know, but I... I, I, I shifted I expect, it right back to I expected uh, nothing, nothing less. I'll bring it, I, <laughs> I, when I think about the pendulum, because I've spent a lot of time traveling, especially China and India, and almost two billion people, right? right? But it's like, I think the pendulum's swinging, but also the pendulum itself is getting bigger and bigger and bigger. So I think you can see all of these massive valuations, and I don't think they're as crazy as people think, because a billion people are going to come online in the next X years. And, and I think really Asia and India, some few companies from the West have actually really tapped, right? You said you're just scratching the surface in Asia, which is, you know, a good chunk of the world. And it's just so, yeah. I think when you look at valuations, it's like, can this team tackle Asia? Can this team, you know, do something in China and India? And if that answer is yes, then a lot of these valuations, I think, actually make sense. And you look at the numbers. I mean, like Kevin was saying, if you look at the numbers that were leaked about Uber, I mean, this is real money right. changing hands between that. It's like diversified revenue streams in cities all around the world between all these different users. Same with Airbnb. I'm guessing the same with Eventbrite. So it's like it's hard to necessarily ignore yeah. these kind of numbers. Is, were you alluding to that? I am, and I, I, I think there are some real businesses. You know, there are, of course, um, in, in all the excitement and, uh, you know, some businesses that, that either get funded too early or maybe didn't have the sustainability, you know, end up kind of caught up and trapped in, in, in these overfunding situations or overexpand. And, and, you know, so you want to see 
uh, a healthy pruning of, uh, of the industry. And, and the NASDAQ went through that a couple months ago. Uh, there are a number of companies that, that uh, really lost a tremendous amount of their, their value. Um, and, but the, the best companies, you know, we know over time there tends to be this consolidation um, and the few winners in each and usually one winner in each category exists. And, and you, know, and, um, you know, it looks like that'll be the Uber uh, in, in that space, the Airbnb. I'm, of course, biased here. Um, you know, but, you. but, but that's how, how, how markets operate. Um, right, so it's good to see a bit of that coming off and pruning that kind of thing. Yes. Is it true you have a Pets.com stuffed animal in your office? Wow, that's uh, exactly right. I do. And that's the reminder. That's, uh, you know, thou art mar- mortal is not to, to, to get too overconfident. And I, I look at that uh, Pets.com sock puppet, which became the kind of, uh, what do you call it, the, the metaphor for the craziness of the, right. uh, of the late 90s. Were you involved in that company at all, or you just keep it around? I wasn't. I, uh, um, I had an um, office down the street, or actually I lived down the street from the, the Pets.com uh, office, and, okay. and always, you know, that, that was like the sign of, of the times there. But I keep that sock puppet on my desk to remind me that uh, not to get too ahead of ourselves, not to get... Uh, too overconfident to really think about building a great business. Apparently, uh, your wife has tried to throw it away a few times, and you won't let her. Absolutely not. It's, <laughs> but, yeah, yeah. I remember that mania. I was in '99 at a, a dot com startup. It was an e commerce one, and I remember the different iterations of Pets dot com. There were four or five that were selling all those supplies, and I guess it is. It is the epitome of that. That bubble. The, the question at that time uh, for that industry of 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 pet e-commerce companies was whether you ship dog food or not because dog food was so you know the shipping cost you know that that was the the great question uh and then of course amazon i think has has solved that uh in one way or another right do you watch the television show silicon valley and is it accurate i have not seen it yet i'm I'm a little obsessed with it yes i really want to see it i uh you know there's so much buzz around it and i've not gotten around um I think it's has HBO released it to iTunes yet. I uh, should know that because because uh, I watched it legally. Um, so uh, I don't know. There's been eight shows in the series. Uh, I'm not sure if they have released it. Um, I, I was pretty impressed. Is it, but, is it on Netflix or no? I don't know. No, it's not on Netflix. Not, it's not you know HBO and Netflix yeah, are, are warring, and we are not HBO subscribers. So mm-hmm. um, you know I have to find it digitally, and if it's not available digitally. Yeah. Why would you? I can't I, see it. I'm always just trying to get a feel for what you know, the, what San Francisco's like, and and what the feeling is there, and and whether you know it, it is madness and mania around the tech, or is I, I know there's been a lot of criticism as far as the normal everyday person in San Francisco versus the the tech kind of person. Does it feel like a two class system? People used to say in New York City in the '90s where I lived that if you weren't in banking, you were a second class citizen, and they were probably right. I was in banking at the time, um, but. Is, it, is that the case in San Francisco? Is it that much of a divide, or is it overblown? Well, it's 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 really a renaissance period in in San Francisco, and we hope that the rising tide raises all uh, boats, and that you see this flourishment, uh, this flourishing businesses, uh, you know, that that are part of the ecosystem of of tech, growing all the different retailers, um, the the different uh, service providers, the 
you know, the city, the real estate, the city is undergoing this um, wonderful renaissance. However, to the flip side of it, you know, it's just, it's not a simple um, equation that it's, the rents are astronomical. Uh, The, um, you know, there, there is a fair amount of unhealthy materialism, in my opinion. Um, And, and, you know, and I, I think that the Valley does need to think about um, the other side uh, of, of the equation, um, and, and that's the, the simple fact of it. Uh, in any of these great periods of prosperity, these types of divisions occur, and you know, we're right in the midst of, of trying to um, contend with it, and what you see are these um, you know, issues or powder kegs arise around attacking buses and things like that. What have you seen in London this week that it impresses you? Has there been any kind of sector or companies or anything that you're like, ah, oh, it's interesting to, to see what these people are doing? Because in a weird way, you kind of put these people in a different time zone, eight time zones away, and they, they're obviously going to come up with slightly different things than people in New York or San Francisco. I was wondering if anything kind of stuck in your mind. Well, it's, you know, as I've traveled around the city, uh, I've just gone from startup to startup and going into these offices and seeing 15 companies on the placard of cool startups and sitting down with these entrepreneurs and speaking to them and seeing that the sophistication, the intelligence, um, the drive, uh, you know, the things that, that, that are the, that you want to see in a growing tech community. Now, Silicon Valley has had a decades head start. You know, we had the two decades, uh, many, many decades, actually, you know, the the chip industry, Hewlett Packard, um, you know, the military uh, influence impact that, that spawned, you know, the, the chip industry, which spawned the hardware industry, which spawned the software industry. So there's been a lot of time for, um, for, for what's happened in the last two decades to actually develop. And, and, and so, um, you know, I, I think that London is on its way. It's it's following more of a course of, of I would say, New York. We're seeing a lot of promise and excitement coming out of New York. Um, so it's following more of that. Whereas um, if I think about, you know, the exciting things that are happening in India and China, you know, you have a lot of, um, you have a lot of Indians, a lot of Chinese going back to uh, India and China to start Companies, and and that's because there's they're self-contained markets, and they're so enormous. Uh, you know the Alibabas and, um, and and Flipkarts and so on of the world, and uh, they're, they're just great opportunities back there. London is is different, and I would put it more akin to to New York. Um, if, if I try to make that comparison, uh, that's a good comparison. Can you spot a successful entrepreneur in five minutes? If you sit down and talk to someone, you, you know, you said you've been going through these companies. Um, you know, I think it's the, well, I mean, I, sometimes I guess that's, that's my cop out. And I, I think, uh, just I enough, you, can. Um, <laughs> you know, I can certainly, um, I, I certainly look for certain characteristics and I actually like to learn a lot about, um, family, family history, background, um, like I like to hear the obstacles that entrepreneurs have overcome, and so like I almost like run a psychological profile on um, on entrepreneurs to say what is their true motivation, um, what you know, what was their you know, how were they influenced by their family and their parents, 
you know, is, it really tells me a lot about an entrepreneur and their true motivations. Uh, but I've certainly made my fair share of mistakes. I, I think that, you know, uh, you mentioned all those great companies that I had had the good fortune to be involved in, but I think uh, a great investor is just somebody that's managed to uh, um, push aside or convince everyone to forget about all the disasters uh, he or she has been involved in. <laughs> that's good advice. How do yeah. you get involved on the ground floor with those, those companies like PayPal, Airbnb, Pinterest? Or is there another 97 in your portfolio that didn't do very well? Or how, how, Is that because people you knew or you believed in their business models? How did that happen? Well, it was... Uh, you know, a fledgling time in in the valley uh, that I was really out there, and and you know, again, see that in um, in London today is that it was a special movement uh, that was happening, and and there weren't fifteen or twenty Airbnbs. There was just one. There weren't fifteen or twenty Trulias. There was one PayPal, um, and it was a, a small, uh, a relatively small network. And I was an entrepreneur. We were. Um, you know, and and what I found is that I was just drawn to to learning. Uh, part of really the context or really the main thrust of of Eventbrite, we value transparency, we value collaboration, and we value um, learning. And I could learn a lot of the early stages by spending time with with these great entrepreneurs. And so. Uh, they were investments that I was supposed to be advising and helping, but in, in fact, I was gaining as much information the other way. And that's really what the core is of, of you know, what it takes to build a collaborative um, uh, industry, fledgling industry. And that's what you know needs to really happen with entrepreneurs in London. And that's what's heartening to see when uh, entrepreneurs are. Um, all housed together and sharing problems. We talk uh, a lot about open source software, but we should talk about open source sharing of knowledge. And and that's what was uh, helpful was these formative years of, of being able to interact with all these great entrepreneurs. That is probably yeah, the best statement you made so far. It's just the most interesting. It feels like a really open community here, but I don't really have anything to compare it to. But I haven't heard of anyone trying to hide an idea or hide knowledge. Everybody yeah. is more than happy to give introductions, and they've taught me to be the same. And it's just like, let's help, 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 help. We, feel, we still feel like a, a movement that's foreign to this city. But we're not in government. We're not in banking. We're not you know, in advertising. It, I kind of span the tech world, and then with my coffee business, the old traditional That's product both, business right, and right. i see it enormous gaps right like the, the the lack of transparency and the the shadiness that exists in, in sort of the coffee industry of, of sort of the, the moving products is, is incredible and the hesitancy for and, to give introductions and the, yeah exactly and i'm trying to take the tech world and be right. transparent and open and then guys are screwing me over and i'm like what the fuck? I'm trying to pull it, you know, be tech here with you, and you just you didn't play tech, and that's not fair. It um, occasionally happens in tech, right. but it's harder to do because yeah. uh, you know it's an open, transparent community, and you you don't uh, you know if you be if you act as a bad character. Uh, the reputation uh, sticks with yeah. that entrepreneur for a long time. Right. And Investors not, as well. Yeah. yeah. And it's not just the bad relationship you have with the person. It's like everyone sees your behavior like a true monkey clan and you get punished for it. Um, Kevin, we always ask everyone here a few questions at the end. I want to ask you the same. Uh, if you could make a, a phone call to the 20-year-old Kevin Hartz and give that young man a bit of advice, what would you tell him to do? Well, my, my advice uh, you know, to 
to any 20-year-old or fledgling entrepreneur is to not listen to their parents. Uh, and what that means, um, I always I like to give my parents a hard time and tease them, so that's why I like to say that for one. But secondly, the truth of it is that you know our our parents or the status quo is not thinking about what the future looks like. There, one is thinking about what the past looked like, what success looked like in the past, and that was uh, being an investment banker, or being a consultant, or uh, taking a, a risk adverse route. Um, to so-called, you know, success or happiness, and the reality is that you have to um, take extreme risk, and and especially at uh, age of twenty, it's a time to, um, you know, take some risks, really try to make an impact on the world, um, and do something really incredible, and that's what we wake up every day. That's what motivates me is, um, and and so thinking big, taking big risks, really go for it, going for it is that. Um, is that phone call to that 20-year-old. And, and that 20-year-old being you, were you taking those risks at that point? I think I was... Uh, I, I think I zigzagged uh, a bit. and um, But no, I could have... Uh, I, I certainly could have been thinking bigger. Uh, was certainly not on any track of a Mark Zuckerberg. I would call myself a late bloomer, okay. having started my first company in my mid-late 20s. And when you were at Oxford, you weren't thinking, I'm just going to get back to tech pretty soon here. Or I'm going into tech. I was, I was thinking graduate school, uh, no, more graduate school or Doctorate. You know, who knows what. Okay. Um, on that same line, uh, best advice you've ever received, uh, you know, business or personal, uh, over the course of your career? Best advice I've, I've ever received. Uh, uh, surround yourself by great people. Um, it, it's, it's something often heard but really just not compromising on the quality of the team that you're going to build around you. Um, and at the same point, um, finding great mentors to, to get advice. Uh, if you're a startup out there, a startup here in London, uh, you know, it's, it's hard to hire employees or you may not have the capital to do it, um, but you can find great mentors and people uh, to learn and get advice from. Excellent. Um, last bit of that, you know, you mentioned to the 20-year-olds advice and things like that. If they do want to get into tech and they're not located in a you know, major metropolitan area where they can maybe drop by for a drink about it or that kind of thing, what should they do? Should they try to build something? Uh, is there any key thing that they, they can do if they want to get into the industry? Well, it's, it's incredible the body of knowledge available and resources available, such as this show, that Thank anyone you. from around the world can listen in and, and gain, hopefully, some insights uh, you know, whether, uh, and then it's also, you can learn to code online. You can take classes from MIT on computer science. Uh, so there's so much that can be done now. Um, and, you know, really listening, learning and, and, and just making that jump. If, if, uh, you know, there's, there's always the opportunity to, you know, in, in the twenties to make a lot of mistakes. And, and if it's an interest in, in a passion, uh, go for it. The, the downside or the thing to be cautious of is just make sure, you know, I think that technology can be somewhat fashionable. 
Um, and you know, it's like a, a it, it comes and goes sometimes. And entrepreneurs can get into it for the wrong reasons. Can get into it for the, you know, that they see piles of money or it seems to be the invoke thing to do. Uh, and really, what entrepreneurialism is about is is making an impact on the world in a positive way. And you know, if you see that as your true north and your your, uh, then follow it. Very well said. Good. Take good. some risks. That's what. That's good advice for the twenty-year-old. Good. Risk. I have one more question. I just. Go. I want to. You have such a unique background for payments. Do you know what I mean? I think. You know. I want to hear your opinion on where are payments going? Is Bitcoin here to stay? Maybe share shed some light on some of that stuff. Well, I'm uh, biased again. I'm I'm long in Bitcoin, uh, and. Uh, you know, have did get involved in, in payments early on as you know a spectator on the sidelines of watching PayPal grow and that great team do amazing things as as that company was started, and then of course Zoom and and now Eventbrite is very payments heavy. So, looking very carefully at at the world of, of payments and certainly watching Bitcoin, I think that um, you know I think optionality is important. Um, so by that I mean that. You know, I believe that Bitcoin has that opportunity to be the TCP/IP of money, meaning to be this um, new form of, of currency that becomes ubiquitous. Uh, but um, there's also a lot of risk to it, and so you don't want to necessarily put all your eggs in one one basket. Uh, so that that's the question is, and, and that's the question of the challenges Eventbrite every day is um, there are things that can disrupt or propel Eventbrite to the next level. Um, Google search, you know, organic search was one of those things that propelled us to the next level. Social and Facebook and Twitter was something that propelled us to the next level. The mobile revolution is now, and, you know, we have to decide, will Bitcoin be that, um, or will it end up um, being, you know, something forgotten of the past? And, uh, you know, I'm long in Bitcoin, but I also can't, I, I would say it's a small part of, of my portfolio, um, so I'm hedging myself. So keep your options open. Exactly. Yeah, I, I love Bitcoin. I'm fascinated by it. I'm not that long. I have a slightly small, <laughs> long position. Um, but I, I'm not convinced it's going to change this whole payment game in the next five years and maybe in the next ten. But, you know, that's my, that's my opinion. Not that you even asked my opinion. That's okay. I'm glad That's to hear it. Um, uh, Kevin, thanks so much for, for your time. Uh, Thank this you. This was a, a great episode because we really got really in your head about a lot of things. Um, so thanks for the insights. Um, you know, uh, we've been doing this now a year, 52 episodes, and it's great to kind of get the, the stories and especially someone that's been in the industry as long as you, you know, just to get your thoughts on there. Um, so well, really a pleasure. Uh, thank you, Brian. Thank you, Colin. Yeah. Thanks for making the stop on your busy, busy week in London. Yeah. Well, if you're listening to us on iTunes, you can uh, watch us on YouTube. And, uh, as we say, it's a Silicon reel. It's about the people. Uh, we're one year in, uh, we're going to keep Happy doing birthday. this. Uh, thank you. Happy birthday to you too. And, uh, yeah, if you want to help or get involved, send us an email, hello at siliconreel.com. Uh, we got a couple of people that are working for us, getting involved, meeting all sorts of great people. And we always want to hear your suggestions for guests. And, uh, there you go. Um, Kevin, all the best in your journeys and with Eventbrite. Big fan of what you're doing and uh, take care of yourself. Thanks so much. Thanks.
We have people pair up between some of the startups that we work with and some of the, the established people that we have within the business. And it's about sharing best practice and mind share and you know, all, all of that sort of stuff. And it really rubs off on them. It really rubs off on them in terms of some of the ideas that they can come back with and the different ways in which they approach uh, challenges. If you're going to grow, if you're going to be successful, you need to, need to take risk. When you get that call, when you get that opportunity, just go for it. Don't worry. Consistently push yourself outside your boundaries. So there's a world of possibilities out there. So I think it's a really exciting time.